This teaching is from City Church Coventry. You can find us online at www.citychurchcoventry.org. What I want to do this morning is really very simple. I want to pick up, it's, it's interesting, this is the first opportunity we've had since Kerry was with us at the end of November to unpack some of what he came and, and shared with us. Uh, because of all the different things, Christmas and all the other things that have happened since then, this is our first opportunity. But hopefully what we're going to do over the next few weeks is to unpack that, because I do believe that what Kerry came and shared on the Sunday morning and the times that different various people got to spend time with him over that weekend is some very significant things for us as a church. My immediate response was going to be to ask Kerry if he could come in maybe three or four times this year and help us outwork some of these things. Now, as you know, Kerry has been unwell. He's doing, he's doing well at the moment. He's, uh, the surgery he had has, has helped a, a lot. Um, but I think it's fair to say he's probably going to need to be doing um, a little less this year. Um, and so I'm not sure how much time we'll get to spend with him with us in person, but I do believe that the deposit of what he left with us, if we are good stewards of that, if we are diligent with that, can and will shape uh, us as a church, not just, for, not just for this year, but for years to come. Um, thanks to uh, Dave for getting the secret podcast up, which I'm not going to say too much more about because this won't be a secret podcast, so we can't podcast that we have a secret pod- pod- podcast, but you know... Yeah. Um, <laughs> have a listen. Have a listen to what Kerry shared, because there were there were there were so many different things that landed for different people already. Uh, two or three people have come back and said, "Look, in response to this, I I, I believe this is what God is is directing me to do," and 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 I believe that we're going to find all kinds of very significant things for the life of the church come from that. And we're going to try and work through that. And that's that's one of the reasons that we're praying through the month of January. Uh, we're praying through the month of January. Because one of the instructions Kerry gave, to, gave us was to go and hear from God. And that's one of the things we want to talk about in the prayer, in, in some teaching on prayer tomorrow night, is, is what, you know, how does prayer work? How does it line up with God speaking? How does it relate to what God has said and what God will say? Okay, so, um, but as we said at the beginning of, the, of this morning, Kerry shared with us that, the Holy Spirit said to him, 2020 is a year of plenty. He then shared that with all the church leaders the following weekend. Um, and as, as Nikki showed us, it's something the Holy Spirit is saying in Nigeria, using some street slang that uh, I, I, I don't want to presume about the pastor of the church, but I presume he was a, an older gentleman, much like myself, who probably isn't quite as down with the kids as he thinks he is. Um, I'm projecting now. Uh, but um, <laughs> but the, the Holy Spirit is speaking. Yeah. John 10.10 10 says this. So I've been looking in the scriptures, and the word plenty in, in most translations doesn't occur very often, but there's another word that means pretty much the same thing in English, but occurs quite a lot and is very significant in the scriptures, particularly in the New Testament, and that is the word abundance or abounding. John 10.10, Jesus says this, A thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. You see, God's plan isn't just that you have one year that is a year of plenty. Okay, he caught, there, was a, there was a year like that in the Old Testament. It was the Jubilee year. We're talking about a Jubilee Bible week. This year is my Jubilee. And Chris, yeah, 
Chris and I will both turn 50 this year. Anyone else turning 50 this year? Oh, Jacqueline as well. Oh, okay. I thought you were a year behind us. Well, she looks about 10 years behind us, Chris, let's be honest. But uh, yeah, I, I, I embrace that. I think that's a great thing. I was, I was very encouraged by, um, if, I don't know if any of you saw Jeff Day posted on Facebook that he was entering his seventh decade because <laughs> he was born in 69. And I was just thanking God that I was a whole 10 years behind him doing that. But, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm ready to embrace 50 years. 50, God's, God's blessings on 50 years in the scripture. It was a year of abundance. It was a year of such abundance. In fact, the 49th year was a year of such abundance that it could sustain people for three years because that's how long it would be before the next harvest would come in. That's the kind of God we have. And you know, when Jesus stood up at the beginning of his public ministry in Luke chapter 4 and he quoted Isaiah 61, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And that year was jubilee. Not in the, sense, in the natural sense of a, of, of a 50th year of rest, but a year that was now going to be, that was going to define the whole era of the kingdom of God. Yes. But right from the day when Jesus said that, something shifted in the realm of the Spirit, and the whole of the world entered into this new year. And we, when we come into the kingdom, we come into that experience of the year of God's favor. The year of God's abundance, the year of God's plenty. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it in abundance. Abundant in the way that it's used in, in, I'm not going to tell you what the Greek words are because I didn't write them down and I can't remember them, but they were all kind of, they were all kind of like fairly similarly spelt. They were all kind of related to one another and they all had this same uh, basic idea of being more than full. Being more than full. So fullness is an important idea in the scripture. God is currently working to fill the earth with all his fullness, with the knowledge of his glory, with the, with the image of Christ. And he began that by filling you with the Holy Spirit. But we know that when we're full of the Holy Spirit, we're not just supposed to be full to the brim, are we? There's, there's, the fullness of the Spirit in us is a, a more than full. Because it's a running over. It's a flowing out. It's an abundance. That's what abundance means. It's plenty more than full. To be more than full. Now, I'm sure some of us have recent recollections of being more than full. And it relates to Christmas dinner and uh, mince pies and all those other kinds of things. But, you know, whilst that isn't good, it's certainly not good for us to do that very often. It is good for us to be like that with the Holy Spirit all the time. That more than what you think, I can't take any more, I've got to give some away. That doesn't work too well with food, but it works well with the Holy Spirit. More than full. When God says it's a year of plenty, he says it's a year when you are going to be more than full. It's a year where you're going to overflow. It's a year where, where, where what Jesus says in John chapter 7 is that, that streams of living water are going to flow out of your inner being. That the overflow is going to be the God things that fill your life. Here are some of the things the New Testament talks about abundance or abounding. The one that is mentioned most, and I think that's significant, is this. Abounding grace. So if you do a little search on abounding or abundance or all those words, you'll find that most often it's associated with grace. Grace. 
And of course, that's where our story with God begins. With his abounding grace. The overflow of the very life of God. The overflow of the sacrifice that Jesus brought. The overflow, the consequence of God becoming a man, taking upon himself sin and death. But sin and death being something that couldn't hold him. And he overflowed with eternal life. Resurrection life. And by his grace, he gives it to us and it abounds. You know, that's the prayer that Ruth prayed this morning. There is no such thing as grace that doesn't abound. That's kind of part of the nature of grace. Is it has to be more than is just what's needed. It abounds. If you want to look some of these up, you can, if I'll, just, I'll just throw out some scriptures to you. Romans 5, 15 and 17. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, which we're going to look at in a minute. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. In Romans 3, verse 7, it talks about abounding in truth. That's the, that's, that's, um, and, and this is one of the things, reminded me one of the things that Kerry shared. He talked about what, what we need as a church is you, you don't need lots more teaching. You need to be teaching other people. You need to find the people that you're teaching. Because there's an abounding of truth. There's a living revelation among us. Romans 15.13 talks about abounding in hope. Abounding in hope. Hope is really important because hope is what keeps you going towards what you haven't got yet. And he wants us to live in abounding hope. That we're never those who, who give up hope. We're never those who lose hope. We're always those that are abounding in hope. You know, when we really get a, a, a revelation and a vision of what God is doing in the earth, it's very difficult to lose hope. Because you know, you know he's already won, and you know that the consequence of that is one day going to be seen. One of the translations of, of, of the psalm says, I would have given up hope if I hadn't believed that I've seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You see, I believe, I know. If you look through the scripture and think, who had the hardest time of it after Jesus? Who had the hardest time of life in the scripture? I don't know who you'd vote for, but you go for Job? Yeah, someone's, yeah. Were you there for Job? Do you know what he said? He says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And in the last day, he'll stand on the earth. He knew, he had a hope. You know, and as far as we know, Job didn't know nothing. Didn't know the scriptures, didn't know that. All he knew is what had been passed down to him. But he said this, I know, I know my Redeemer lives. And he's ultimately, ultimately it doesn't really matter what happens here and now. Because ultimately the Redeemer is going to stand on the earth. 1 Corinthians 14, 12 talks about abounding in spiritual gifts. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 5 talks about, you'll love this one, abounding in suffering. (laughs) But in the same verse it also talks about abounding in comfort. You see, God never leaves us lacking. 2 Corinthians 4.15 and Colossians 2.7 talk about abounding in giving thanks. That should be the lifestyle that we're cultivating. And here's an interesting one, and I, I haven't done a definitive count on this, but it struck me as I read through these that this was the second most common abounding that I could find in the New Testament, which is abounding in the work of God. And it describes the life that, that God wants us to live. And we read about that in 1 Corinthians 15.58. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, and 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Let's go to that last one now. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Because this links together the idea of abounding in grace and abounding in the work of the Lord. And I think that's significant. 
the context of Second uh, Corinthians 9 is talking about money. Paul's talking about how they've been generous, how they've given. So that's the, that's the immediate context. But in the middle of it, he drills down into a spiritual law and a spiritual truth that underpins not just how finances work, but how the whole of life works in the kingdom of God. Um, so let's go from verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it's written, he has distributed freely, he's given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase your harvest for righteousness. So it was verse 9 in the middle there, or verse 8, sorry, in the middle there. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. There's a lot of superlatives in that verse, isn't there? He's able to make all grace abound to you. Why does he say all grace? I thought it was just the grace of God. No, God has so many means of grace, including things like suffering, as well as blessing. That, that, you know, if, we, if, we will, if we will position our lives right, there is nothing that can happen in this world that cannot be a means of God's grace to us. He's going to make all grace abound to you so that you have all sufficiency. I love that. I know this is one of Ben's favorite verses because he's quoted it to me many times, but um, maybe, maybe I should get him to come and preach at this point. But having all sufficiency. All sufficiency means not needing any other source. Apparently that's what the phrase kind of literally means. Not needing any other source. that kind of throws some responsibility on us in terms of the way we make choices about how we approach things and how we respond to things, doesn't it? Say, do I really live a life where I I say, I don't need any other source other than the grace of God? Or do sometimes I think, well, I'll just kind of, you know, work at this myself. I'll just try a bit harder at this. I'll just try and see if I can work through this by myself. Oh, I've made a mistake. Let me see if I can put it right. No. We don't need any other source. That's what being all-sufficient means. But he doesn't just say having all-sufficiency. He says all-sufficiency in all things and at all times. Just in case you were looking for like, well, yeah, that might be fine for you, Paul, but you haven't seen my situation. He goes, no, no, I've... I don't need to see your situation because I know the nature of the grace of God. It's all sufficient for all things at all times. Why? You know, God always has a why. He always has a purpose in what he gives to us. And it's this. He says that you may abound in every good work. And when you look at good works through the New Testament, again, it's a phrase that's used a lot. But good works in the New Testament are not just morally good works. They are God works. They are miraculous works. They're things that release the power of the age to come into the present. 
They're things that bring the realities of heaven and reveal them on the earth. That's a good work. That's Ephesians 2, you know, the good works he prepared in advance for us to do. The divine appointments, the opportunities to minister the power of God. The times when you get to share the gospel and someone puts their faith in Jesus Christ. Those are the good works that the abounding grace of God, the abundant grace of God, the plentiful grace of God is released into our life to achieve. Let me just give us a little bit of direction and we'll share some of this stuff online as well as to how we're going to pray through the, through the next month. And I'm going back and drawing some of the things that Kerry said. You know, um, I'm not sure whether it was, in one sense it was a coincidence in the natural. I'm not sure whether it was more significant in the spirit. But the Sunday that Kerry and Carol were with us was, was within a couple of days, 10 years, since we had been planted as a church. Um, it was the kind of the nearest Sunday uh, to back in 2000, November 2009. Um, and when we met last Sunday, and I know many, many were away, but we, we, we had a great time without you. Just, just, just looking back, some people looking back over the years, some people looking back over a decade, um, and, and just saying, this is how God has shown his goodness. And I believe for a church, God has shown us goodness. But I also believe that it is a new season for us. And Kerry talked a lot about that. He talked about God giving us a new paradigm. A paradigm is a framework, or the biblical word might be wineskin. But it's basically a a framework or a way of thinking, a way of doing something, a way of operating. And, um, you know, praise God, we we do a lot of things well, partly because we're determined to do them according to the pattern that the scriptures give us. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't want to change things. We can't just assume. You see, there are, there are many ways you can apply the, 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 uh, the principles of Scripture. And, and sometimes the application will need to change because the season is changing. And so Kerry encouraged us to go to God in our prayer and say, God, give us a new paradigm. Give us a new way of thinking. It's always important that when a season ends, that you end the season you don't try and stay in that season. Down at the, uh, at the bottom of my garden, our previous... I, I can't keep blaming our previous owners. It's a bit like the you know, Conservative government blaming the Labour government that haven't been in power for 10 years. But we've lived in that house 10 years. And down at the bottom of the garden, there are still too many trees. There, there were too many trees planted there for them to be healthy. And as they've grown, they've, they've, they've become less and less healthy because there wasn't enough room. And we've taken a lot of them out. But there's one apple tree left down there that I've kind of given one last chance. And, you know, it's, I look out of the window in the morning, and it's, the way it's grown, it's got these long, wiry branches now. Looking at Greg for all the, you know, criticism of all the things I've done wrong with this tree. <laughs> but it's January now, which I think by any standard is winter, yeah? And at the top of these little branches, there are still these, these few yellow leaves fluttering around. And I'm thinking, that's a tree that's trying to live in a season that's passed, isn't it? It's, it's, it's there going, it's still autumn. I'm going, it's not autumn. <laughs> in fact, when it was autumn, when you should have had apples, you didn't have any apples. So, you know, we don't want to live out of season. We need to know what seasons have passed. And in your own life, just look and say, what seasons have passed? What's finished? What's God drawing to a close? Because he will always draw something to a close. And it's important for us to move out of that so that the next season can come.
Embrace the new. A new paradigm is part of what the scripture says in Romans 12 about don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's about a new way of thinking. If it's just a new way of doing, you know when you, you, you kind of have just a memory. So let, let me give you a little story. So um, yesterday or the day before? The day before. Um, Ruth was decorating our hall. She was painting the walls. And she, was, she had the stepladder in front of the front door. And I came to take the rubbish out to go and put it in the bin. And obviously I couldn't get past. I said, don't worry, I'll just go. I'll go out the back door, round the side, through the gate, along, put it in the bin. No problem. And so I did that. Of course, I went out, unlocked the back door, round the side. It's a much longer route. I'm not, you know, not, not bragging, but it's, it's, a, it's a long way. And I went down the side. I had to remember what the code on the padlock was on the gate. Got, around, got the stuff in the bin, came back down. And what did I do when I got to the front door? I tried, tried to walk straight through the front door. Now... Apparently, as I'd walked past the first time, Ruth thought, I bet he'll forget and walk back through the front door. And I thought, no, I must think well of my husband. I'm sure he won't do that. And yet she was right. Why? Well, because in my, my way of thinking, my, my paradigm is that when I put the rubbish in the bins, I walk back in the house through the front door. That's what I've done for 10 years. Okay? And something had changed, but nothing had changed up here. Okay? <laughs> That's nothing to do with the fact I'm nearly 50. It's just nothing had changed up here. So my action had changed, but my paradigm, my mental framework, my way of approaching life hadn't changed. Now, fortunately, I didn't fling the door open like this and knock me through. I opened it and got called a name. (laughs) Can't remember which one it was, but it was clean. It's important that things change here. That's why the scripture says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's nothing harder than trying to operate in a way that isn't the way that you're... But that's why part of what the Holy Spirit does is to transform our thinking and transform our paradigms. It helps when we say things, when we speak them, when we reinforce them to one another. We remind one another of the new things that God is saying, the new words that God has brought. Kerry encouraged us to think growth and expansion change is good growth is good it's a sign of life he also encouraged us in our prayer that to ask God to give us specifics in how we reach the city and I believe and I've already seen I'm already hearing this from people but I believe that largely that will come in lots of little things there might be one or two big things but it will come in lots of little things don't dismiss the promptings of the Spirit, you think this just seems like a little thing. But you know what? Your little bit will probably join with two or three other people's little bits and come into quite an impressive whole. So we're going to be praying that God gives us some fresh specifics on how we reach the city. And Kerry also encouraged us this, and this is, I want to bring this back to us, to determine to lead someone to Christ this year. How many of you are already praying about that? Yeah? How many of you already started to do some of the things about that? How many went and spoke to a neighbour over Christmas or took them a gift? And Remember those things we were encouraged to do. If you didn't, don't worry, you can still do that. Let me, let me give you... Um, so my, my friend Chandrakan, that many of you know, many, some of you have met, um, he used to be big into numbers when it came to evangelism. Less so now, but that's kind of how he started 
his ministry. I think in his first year of him and Nilam, when they were young people witnessing on university campuses, I think they set themselves a target of sharing the gospel with 10,000 people. I think that was what it was. So they broke that down to how many does that mean each week? How many does that mean each day? But over his 35, nearly 40 years of ministry, uh, he would say that this, these, these numbers hold up for him. That if you share the gospel with 10 people, one of them will make a decision for Christ. And for every three people that make a decision, one will become a disciple and be joined and added to the community. So if you want to see one person saved and added, then you need to share the gospel with 30 people. Well, that's, that's more than half the weeks of the year, and I'm not so good at math. So I'm going to say, let's say I need to share the gospel with someone every week. I need to share the gospel with someone every week. Now, if I'm going to share the gospel with someone every week, and because, you know, I'm not always the best at taking every opportunity and, and, and you know, maybe, you know, some, some, some days just the way that life happens, I don't, I don't find any opportunity, then I've really got to start each day with an expectation that today's going to be a day I share the gospel with someone. And, you know, if you try and do that as a rule, if you try and do that without there being a transformation of your mind, that's going to become a major burden. And that's why we're going to be praying. Because we're saying, Lord, we want you to change our inner motivation. We want you to change the way we think about life, the way we think about what do I leave my house to do? What do I leave my house? Well, I leave my house to go to work. I leave my house to go to school. I don't believe that's how God sees it. He leave, you leave your house to go into the harvest field. You leave your house to go out on the mission that Jesus began 2,000 years ago. Why did I wake up this morning? <clears throat> because God wants to be, me to be instrumental in filling the earth with his glory. How's that going to happen? I'm going to find someone and tell them about Jesus. I'm going to pray for a sick person and see them recover. I'm going to be the answer to someone's prayer. I'm going to be the means of someone's miracle. I'm going to bring Jesus into the situation. We need to change the way we think. And prayer has a wonderful way of changing the way we think. Worship has a wonderful way. That's Romans 12. You offer your bodies as a living sacrifice and he transforms and renews your mind. So we need to aim for that, have that expectation. But say, Lord, I want you to transform me. I want you to change me. So that becomes my internal reality that I live by. In Romans 1, verse 5, and Romans 16, around about 20, Paul uses this phrase. He's talking about apostolic ministry, and he says that God has given him the ministry to bring people to the obedience of faith. And if the obedience of faith means writing down apostolic doctrine and trying to live by it, that sounds like very hard work to me. Particularly if, you know, if, even if you just tried to get to grips with the whole of Book of Romans, that's, that's pretty heavy going. But I don't think that's what he means. I think what he means is that his ministry is about inspiring a revelation of Christ within you that then you feel inwardly compelled to live in the light of that revelation. 
It's not about trying to conform to things from the outside. It's about being true to, to, to what Christ is forming in us. And that's where the discipline of prayer, that's where the discipline of, of spending time in the work, that's where the discipline of fellowship. Yeah, fellowship isn't just something that happens in the spare spaces of our lives. Fellowship was one of the four priorities of the early church in Jerusalem, of being deliberate about how we spend time together. That's where those things come in, because they reshape that internal world. This is all about how is God going to bring us into a place of abundance, of all-sufficiency, and of living in his plenty. And then just three things. When Kerry finished with us, he, he prayed for us as a church, and he prayed these three things. That this church community becomes a flame of fire for the whole city. Yeah? Fire, uh, fire gets very hot when you have lots of individual coals that are grouped together. That's how you get the, that's how you get the heat. And when breath is blown on it. So we look around, we say, well, wait, there aren't that many of us. You know what? It's not the numbers that are so significant, but are we adding our fire to one another's fire? Are you feeling like you're not glowing that hot at the moment? Well, the worst thing you can do is isolate yourself. If you've ever tried to build a, a kind of a fire or, or to get a, something going to make a barbecue or something, that the, some of the coals are not getting very hot, well, you don't kind of go, well, this fire overall would be better without those coals, so let's move those out of the way. No, you get those and you put them next to the really hot ones. That's, that's what we can do. He also prayed this, that we would be marked out as a place where God's spirit has purposed to dwell. And I think that phrase is quite significant. God's spirit has purposed to dwell. Because we love the idea of the presence of God. We love the evidences of the presence of God. But God wants us to know there's a purpose in the presence of God. He's among us for a purpose. And the purpose ultimately, of course, is to see our, our neighbourhoods and our cities come to the Lord. But to know more clearly our purpose, and the final one is that, is that the Holy Spirit will lead us to those who don't know Jesus. And that kind of, in a sense, sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Because, because over 95% of the people you meet don't know Jesus, on, on average. So it doesn't seem that difficult to find them. But, you know, the Holy Spirit wants to lead you. I shared a link onto the um, City Church community page from an article by a man called Larry Tomzak. <coughs> Larry Tomzak wrote a book in the, probably in the 70s, or at least the early 80s, called Divine Appointments. And it was very much about how, by listening to the Holy Spirit, you're, you can find that God will open up all kinds of opportunities to share the gospel. Um, when we're celebrating the 50 years of Bible Weeks this summer, Larry uh, Tomzak came over at, Early 80s, I think, Larry was over a few times, wasn't he? A fantastic minister of the gospel. Um, and uh, just, if you get a chance to read, it'll only take you five minutes to read the, the little article I linked to there. Um, but one of the ways he's talking about in there, in one of his four points of how to kind of enjoy a year of jubilee, one of them was to believe and expect for divine appointments. <laughs> um, the cynic would say he's recycling old material, but the spiritual person would say, no, this is a living revelation that this man carries. 
you know, that, that God wants to lead us. And, and you know, I think we, we owe him just that we turn our attention to him. Maybe it's before you get out of bed. Maybe it's as you put on the kettle in the morning. Maybe it's while you're in the shower. Maybe it's while you're on the drive to work. But that you develop a habit of saying, Holy Spirit, where are you taking me today? What are we doing together today? You know, discipline is about habit forming. Good habits are good, are good things. Yeah, and that's not a diff- It's a simple prayer to pray. Holy Spirit, where are you leading me today? And, and just give him some time. I spoke, I, this is going to cost me some money. I was having a little chat with Lydia before the meeting started and she was talking to me about prayers that she'd been praying and she talked to me about how God had given her an answer to a prayer. And I said, tell me how that happened. Because it was just God speaking to her. Tell me how that happened. So she said, well, I prayed with my dad and then I just listened and was silent for about a minute. And, um, and, and that, this is what God said to me. He didn't say it with a voice. He just said it, but, you know, I knew what he'd said to me. I thought, how was Lydia, Dave? Seven. Okay. So (laughs) she's got it. Okay. Um, It's ever so easy. You just ask simply, simply ask the Lord, and then let him have your attention. And listen to what he says, and believe, believe that he can communicate with you. Yeah? I know sometimes, and Jesus does lead us to believe this, it is easier for children. But that's why he also encourages us to be childlike. To just have that simple belief that if I pray, God will answer. And if I'm asking him a question, then he's going to answer me very simply, very quickly, and I'm going to be able to do something with it. I want to live like that. Do you want to live like that? God wants this to be a year of plenty for us. God wants it to be a year of abundance. It's going to be a year where his grace abounds so that his work may abound through us. Not in a way that's difficult, not in a way that's straining or striving, but in a way that's just the very natural flow of his life amongst us. Amen? Amen. Can we stand together to pray just to close? Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just receive afresh. You've been so gracious to us this morning and so clearly wanting to pour out more of yourself and more of your goodness, more of your grace into our lives. Lord, we say we receive it and we want to steward your grace in our lives. Lord, we want to live lives that make abundant room for the leading of your spirit. Lord, we say let your good works abound through us. Lord, let the work of the Lord be done powerfully through us as we enjoy your goodness and your grace. Lord, we receive your word and your promise that this is a year of plenty, that this is a year of abundance. This is the year of your favor. This is the year, Lord, where you abundantly Give us all good things. Lord, let us be found as those 
who don't waste anything. Lord, like we heard this morning about the, the, the older brother in the story of, of the prodigal son who hadn't realized the truth of what his father said, that everything that I have is yours. Lord, we don't want to live a life that denies that or, or that doesn't live in a realization of that. But Lord, we thank you for abounding grace. We thank you for all sufficiency. We thank you for plenty. Lord, give us an anointing to live fully in all that you've done for us, all that you intend to do through us. Lord, through this month, as we gather to pray, Lord, stir our hearts, shape our thoughts, speak your word, answer our prayers, Lord. Give the desires of our heart, grant us fresh desires and a passion to pursue them. Lord, give us a new sense of focus and purpose. Lord, give us the boldness to leave behind the things of the past. And give us the faith to embrace the things of the new. For the glory of your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this teaching from City Church Coventry. You can find more great teaching and other resources on our website at www.citychurchcoventry.org.